So right now I'm joined by Dr. Caroline Orkiston uh, from the Centre of Sustainability here at Otago. Morena to you. Morena, how are you? Not too bad, and yourself? Very well, thanks. Welcome along to the show. Um, you are giving your Thirst for Knowledge lecture tomorrow at the... Well, I mean, we call it, it's not really a lecture as such. Yeah. These ones are quite Just informal. Just a chat, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, tomorrow at uh, Umbrellos Kitchen and Bar at uh, half past five. It's the next big Alpine Fault earthquake. What are we doing about it? Um, and I guess when it comes to what are we doing about it, it's all about uh, readiness, uh, being prepared. I mean, there's not much we can do in terms of trying to stop it. Uh, it, it it's going to happen. That's right. Uh, yeah. And, and um, there's not much. Uh, well, I guess there are people out there trying to work on prediction models and the like, but that's mm -hmm. not what we're talking about either. No, um, it's not really. So I guess what we know about the Alpine Fault is that it's been letting off big earthquakes roughly every 300 years back over the last 8,000 years. Mm. So there's really good evidence to suggest that it's not going to stop happening. Um, it's 301 years since the last one. Of course, there's uncertainty around those dates, so we don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but it'll be sometime within the lifetime of most New Zealanders today. So we have to be prepared and think about that yeah. at the least, yeah. I mean, it is going to happen. Pressure's building in that fault line. Well, it is. I yeah. mean, it's a mighty big fault. Mm. You know, it, it runs right down the western side of the Southern Alps, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty spectacular bit of geology, really. You know, yeah. I got sucked into it when I was um, here at Otago doing my geology degree and just... I went up there and mapped a tiny wee section of it for my honours dissertation and I just got hooked on it really because, you know, it's just such an incredible force of nature. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ever since then it's been on my mind and I'm really privileged to be part of this uh, Project AF8 which is this multi-agency partnership approach to how we might respond to a future earthquake. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's led by civil defence but it's got, uh, you know, a really strong uh, science partnership alongside all the other agencies that civil defence work with. It's not just about civil defence, they're just a handful of people in, in each region. They rely on everyone, uh, you know, a network working around them yeah. of, you know, emergency services, the community, volunteers. Of so course, yeah. and, and I mean, we are used to pretty localised events, I guess, when it comes to earthquakes in New Zealand over mm. the past hundred years. <coughs> you know, I mean, of course, we go to Christchurch and Kaikoura, uh, mm. Anangahua, mm. Um, uh, Napier, yep. uh, and a few others. Um, but this one is going to be wide felt. This yeah, well, is that's, I guess that's the difference with, with the Alpine Fold, is it's not just going to affect a region, it's going to affect the whole South Island. In fact, it'll be felt across the country, and it will affect the whole country, because you know it's not just about our island. We've got connections with the North Island through, for example, the electricity network. Yes. There's a cable that goes across Cook Strait, and if, if that stops working, then the North Island will be affected as well. So there are lots of... Uh, reasons why we need to consider this as a national scale kind of um, threat, I suppose. Um, the other big one is the Hikurangi um, Trench off yes. the northeast coast of the North Island, so they've got a similar kind of um, potential regional and, and national kind of um, impact. Could they trigger each other, those two? Yeah, a lot of people ask me that. It's 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 not impossible, but it would be very, very unlikely to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that sort of regional scale stress loading is something that people talk about, and it has been seen to happen on other big faults in the world, like the North Anatolian Fault. It's been letting off earthquakes from east to west through the last few hundred years, so it does load up sections of fault adjacent to it, mm. but um, we don't know how that's going to happen, if that's yeah. going to happen here. Yeah, because, I mean, when you're looking at that trench, you're looking at tsunami. 
Yeah, well, that's the big scary one, actually. That's that's a really deadly um, future event for us. Uh, you know, the tsunami is going to be the big big killer, mm, really, mm. In, in that event, definitely. Um, and when it does come to, uh, you know, talking about that and whether or not they'll trigger each other, the Alpine Fault most definitely <coughs> will trigger offshoots of the fault. Mm. Um, well, definitely is a strong word. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, I mean, again, we don't know. I mean, what, what we're talking about in the scenario that we've created around the Alpine fault is that there will be aftershocks on faults nearby yep. so for example in Otago we talk about the the moonlight fault um, potentially having an aftershock on it but that's just our best guess and really it was designed um, in the scenario to sort of test all the different regions so you know you have the Alpine fault go off and then we know for certain there's going to be a big aftershock sequence yep. and where might those aftershocks go so we sort of handpicked a few that would test civil defense essentially but mm -hmm. um, you're absolutely right there will be aftershocks on local active faults around the Alpine fault yeah yep, almost yep. certainly and that bring more localized issues um yeah you you know because i mean i think I've, I've seen some modeling in the last couple of years where you know dunedin uh, from an alpine fault might get a 5.5 to a 6 or something aftershock mm. well, just just type initial initial jolt from the actual that's what we'll feel from the alpine fault yeah. going i'm wondering if uh, yeah there's a little bit of confusion around magnitude versus intensity so yeah in our modeling dunedin receives about intensities of five yeah yeah. yeah. So that's a different thing. That intensity will will be felt off the main shock, off the Alpine Fold event, but the intensity is how much damage is done here in Dunedin. Mm. So um <coughs> so that's that's um that's different from magnitude. That's not in another earthquake, that's actually the intensity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's kind of what I meant, but, yeah, but, my, but my layman's uh, <laughs> <Got yeah. laughs> just wanted to t clarify that. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. I mean and and be and one would imagine well, I don't know, but I, I wonder if that would trigger um like South Dunedin and in terms of liquefaction yep. or you, would we need a localised event for that to happen? I wouldn't just say South Dunedin, I'd say um, sort of low-lying low coastal areas around Otago yep. which are susceptible to liquefaction so let's not just call it Dunedin, South Dunedin because yes they are, they are at risk of that but there are many other places around the coast that are as well so yeah um, in, our, in our scenario again this is just one scenario that we've developed mm. with a lot of science input of course um, Yes, liquefaction is a is a possibility around the Otago coast. Um, what do we know from 1717, the last uh, rupture of the fault? Yeah. Uh, you know, because one would imagine um, uh, there'll be stories of Māori uh, about it. There was uh, whaling going on at the time, so there would have been people around the coast of um, yeah. South Island. So do we know It's anything? actually really interesting. There's hardly... In I, I don't know any oral histories about that event. There, as far as I'm aware, there aren't any. Wow. Which is amazing, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can't tell you anything. <laughs> no. If anyone out there has any stories that they've heard of, please let me know. So nothing from even from whalers? No, no. That's really interesting. I mean, it would be a really great history PhD or, some, or student project or something to go out and dig around and see if there's any mention of it. There are oral histories about tsunami events in the past from Māori. Yeah. Um, they talk about, um, I think they relate it to a tanifa, um, sweeping people away off the coast and things like that. But that wasn't an Alpine fold event. Yeah. That would have been... Um, you know, a South American tsunami that came across with no warning or something, you know, like no. that, a lo or, a, or a local tsunami. But, but as far as I'm aware, there's no oral histories around the Alpine Fault. Mm -hmm. Do we know what kind of shock we'll get? Is it going to be a rolling one or is it going to be a sudden <laughs> jolt? Yeah, so we're in Dunedin here, we're about 250 kilometres from the Alpine Fault. Um, so that means that by the time the seismic waves get uh, get to us, they'll be feeling like a rolling kind of, mm. you know, strong motion, sort of long rolling motion. Yeah. Um, 
and that's just because of the distance from yep. pr- from the from the earthquake itself. So if anyone felt, um, I think it was a September 2010 earthquake. I wasn't here, but my husband felt it, and he described it like that. That sort of long, slow rolling. The difference will be it'll last a lot longer. So we're expecting two or three minutes of that kind of shaking um, yep. to be felt across the South Island. So it's it's a longer period of shaking. That is a very long time, mm. a very long time. I mean, what does our ready list look like right now? I mean, we've got earthquakes in a very recent history. We all know that, Kaikoura and, mm. uh, and Christchurch are two uh, massive examples of that. Uh, and one would assume because of those and, and, and the aftermath that uh, civil defence and localised response will mm. be quite ready. Mm. Um, but, I mean, we as a society are really quick to forget uh, and a lot of us aren't ready mm. are we as individuals yes you're quite right i think there's a bit of there's a lot of um, preparedness lacking in the general public from a civil defense perspective every time we have an event they're learning more yeah. and more about how this thing might play out so the Alpine Fault scenario we've developed has given them a really great um, thing, sort of um, way to exercise for a, uh, for a future event. So they do that a lot. <coughs> we've we've had so much pick up on on Project Day of Fate that you know right around the South Island, the different civil defence groups have been exercising that scenario really hard out. So that's mm-hmm. that's great. That gives them something to play with and really you know something quite real. Um, and then the Kaikoura quake, you know, they, that just learnt, we learnt so many lessons from that. You know, in terms of the fact that it was closed for a year. Um, it doesn't really come as a, su- a great surprise because that road was completely munted and it took so much work to get it done, re- rebuilt, and is still at risk from you know heavy rain and, and storms and things like that. When you consider that in an Alpine Fault context, we've got four passes that go through the, yeah. the the mountains, and so all four of them are predicted to be closed for probably 12 months, if not longer in some cases. Um, so that means Milford Sound won't be accessible. We won't be able to get through the Haast or Arthur's Pass and potentially part of the Lewis Pass as well. So, you know, when you think about that on the scale of the South Island, how's that going to change the mobility of people yeah. around the island and goods and transport and services and things like that? I mean, that's just the passes too. I mean, you've got to look at the gorges, Carwell yeah. Gorge, yep. the Cromwell Gorge. Yeah, potentially quite heavy Especially damage Especially Cromwell well. Gorge. Yeah. I mean, that's very, very um, geologically shaky. Yeah, it is, and it is at at risk, and there's the Dunstan Fault that goes through there, so Mm. as you say, there is potential for triggered aftershocks. Of course, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out, so we have to keep that in mind, that there's going to be really extensive damage through some of those gorges as well. I mean, and uh, are the local areas ready? I mean, what you know, what what is what do we look like in terms of generators, um, you know, tarpaulins, yeah. uh, yeah. water supply, mm. uh, emergency food supplies? Yeah, that's right. On so, a large scale. You know, we're having those conversations. I, I met with the, the Board of Foodstuffs just a couple of months ago, so they were really interested in the Alpine Fox scenario, and they're working now to sort of put some thinking into how they might become a bit more resilient to that sort of thing. So, you know, there's a huge amount of high-level thought going into how we might become better prepared for this event. Mm. And it's so, you know, when you look back, like when I was doing my work back in the mid-90s, no one was talking about this, except scientists. Yeah. Scientists got really excited about the Alpine Fault, but no one out there was talking about it, really. Um, so, you know, we've come a, a hugely long way in the last, you know, 25 years, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, mm. and, and unfortunately, events like Christchurch had to happen for us to probably start thinking well, about it a bit more exactly seriously. exactly right. You know, like we, before 2010, well, actually the year before in 2009, we'd had a big shake down in Fjordland. It was a 7.8. It yes. was the biggest event we'd had since the Nangahua. Um, no one really was concerned about that because it didn't affect anyone. But before that, there'd been a hugely long, many decades of quiescence in terms of not really having any seismicity, big seismic events that did any damage. 
And so, you know, when you look at Inangahua, that was 1968. We had 78, like 30, 40 years of no big events. Yeah. So it's not surprising we became quite complacent, you mm. know. Um, so, yeah, a diff- yeah two, 2010, a massive change of mindset, and especially after February, of course. So, you know, as a society, we've become a lot more aware of, of the fact that we live on a plate boundary. We live on a crack. On the yeah. Earth. You know, like we, we have to get used to the fact that things happen here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, in the South Island, we're, we're talking about Alpine Fall. I mean, Auckland's talking about a volcanic field, you yeah. know I mean? Uh-huh. We live in a pretty, pretty We do. That's why it's such world. a beautiful country, because we have all this amazing geology and tectonics and stuff. That's, mm. that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and it's interesting. Um, oh, well, I was going to talk about the Alpine Fault and the fact that, you know, those mountains could be so much bigger. Had, you know, had erosion not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They could have been massive, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think, you know, there's um, 38 or 40 millimetres a year of kind of sliding past each other and 10 millimetres a year of going up. But as you say, that's all just sort of being eroded off the top, you know, yeah, that's right. all the time, really. So there's, there's pretty much static mm. growth on the Southern Alps. Yeah. Um, in terms of long term um, planning, one thing I know from my partner who was in Christchurch. The me- mental health aspect of the thing mm. is quite big and quite crippling. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, do we do we look into that, or is that an afterthought? You know. Yeah, no, there is research going on. In fact, Otago is doing research in the Canterbury um, campus on exactly that socio, uh, sorry, psychosocial outcomes of of the Canterbury earthquakes, and they found some amazing, um, you know, stuff. Including things like women that were pregnant with babies during the Canterbury earthquake sequence um, are now finding that they're five and six year old, well, how old they, they'd be, six or seven now, mm. that those children have a higher likelihood of being anxious and stressed and ha- you know, having other outcomes. And so there's, there's, a, there's thinking there that, that says the stress and the anxiety that those mothers went through as, uh, in, in pregnancy have now affected their oh, of course. children. So, yeah. you know, and then and the kids that experience that in schools, you know, there's, they're having issues in the school system in, in Christchurch and Canterbury. So, you know, these, these are long-lasting effects. Yeah, it's very long-lasting effects. Mm. Lifetime. Yeah. Lifetime for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, now, just quickly before we go, um, you did mention before that, you know, there's a lot of thinking going on. There's a lot of good people are working together on this project AF8, mm. um, but this could happen at any time. Mm. I mean, this is a three. This is a three-year project, right? Yep, that's right. Yep. Yeah, and we're hoping to continue after that. So yep. um, we're hoping to embed this now in the in societal thinking. That's for sure. But uh, you're right; it could happen tomorrow. Yeah, are we ready? Yeah. Um, well, we're a lot readier than we were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. all you can hope for, really. I mean, it, no one's ever going to be fully ready for this. I think one of the biggest challenges will be prioritization of trying to get to those affected across such a wide geographic area yeah. you know in Kaikoura we had 1200 tourists in town and we got those out within three days what about the tourists that are going to be spread right across the southern Alps? well that's right because you do a lot of tourism uh, events right. you know yeah. and, and you're looking at places like Queensland and Wanaka and yeah. Central Otago um, like um, the ski fields of the middle of winter exactly uh, you know Methven um, all those kinds of areas yeah they're going to be like they're going to be trapped. Yeah, there'll be lots of um, isolated populations. Do we have like I mean, do, do we have standards in terms of where we place machinery and helicopters in mm. terms of those areas not being? Well, that sort of comes down to a, a sort of a, a low lev- a, a sort of local level um, scale where local communities need to become more familiar with what they've got in terms of resourcing and things like that. I know in Aoraki Mount Cook, for example, they are really fully aware of what they've got. They've got roading um, gear. They're fully, they they would just go and fix the road themselves if they had to to get access back in there. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of um, really resilient kind of communities out there. But, 
You know, you're right. It's it's something that we've got to just keep in mind and keep thinking about. Oh, there's so many things. <coughs> I mean, it's just mm. uh, it's a massive, wide-ranging uh, event, and, yeah. and, and and a lot of things will have to be put in place to get past it, especially right. the immediate effect. That, like that's right, but I think the, the thing about getting prepared for an Alpine Fold earthquake is it helps you be prepared for any number of other types of yeah. events. Yeah. So, you know, while we focus on that, it's actually building our, our societal preparedness for lots of other things. Yeah, well, we all had it in the back of our phone book for many years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now we don't get the phone book anymore. No, so what do we do with it? Oh, no, I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, 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 civil defence, emergency <laughs> readiness. Um, so, I mean, the one thing, I guess, um, that's important important for you to do at home is to get a kit ready mm. for any um, uh, for anything that arises mm. that's know? right I think it's hard I mean I'm thinking about the listeners today there are probably lots of students out there you know when I was a student we didn't have spare food in the cupboard no <laughs> we sometimes didn't have any food in the cupboard um, so how do you what how do you make sense of the building of a kit and having stuff stored away and actually forking out money to get that sort of level of preparedness it's hard and know? not running out of normal food than eating at all yeah well that's right so <laughs> maybe talk to your mums and dads and get them to send you an emergency kit because yeah. you can buy them and then get them to send you something that's locked up too that you can't get into well that's the thing don't <laughs> lick the chocolate out <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly all right brilliant so the talk is tomorrow at uh, umbrellos yeah come along um 5 30 i believe awesome that's yes. it yeah first for knowledge the next big alpine fault earthquake what are we doing about it? Uh, thank you so much for coming on this My morning. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure.